You're listening to the Promise Church's message of the week. This week, we have a guest speaker, William Hinn, from Lifestyle Christianity. We hope you enjoy this teaching. Can you guys stay standing with me for a second? Is that all right? Can you turn up? Wow. I love it here. I honor Chris. He's my friend. And just opening up this door. You guys are hungry. I turned to Luke. I said, is worship always like this? It's incredible. Can we lift our hands? And let's just give him an offering of worship. You know, it's Psalms 34, just like we heard Jeremy say. It says that they sought the Lord and they looked at him and became radiant. What you stare at, what has your attention, has your life. So can you just, in your own words, just close your eyes, forget about me. The Lord's not going to learn anything from me today. He's not impressed with what I have to say. He's impressed when a heart wants him so badly, like the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. Like, God, what are you going to do to take a drink? So lift your voice, lift your hand, just in your own way. We're not in a rush. That's it. Father, we need more of you today. Yesterday's fire is not enough for today. We want more today. Just a little bit more, just a little bit more. Come on, just get your heart on him. Get your heart on him. We're here for no other reason. There's no plan. Love without intention, love without motive. Father, we need you. We need you, we need you, we need you. Without you, we can do nothing, Lord. You're so beautiful. You're the perfection of beauty. You're the perfection of wonder and majesty. Holy Spirit, we ask this morning for a fresh fire, for a fresh encounter, that we come running back to first love and that we never leave again, that we build a home with you, that we dwell with you, that God, we stare at you for the rest of our life. We want nothing else. We want nothing else. Father, I thank you for bodies being healed. I thank you for fear and anxiety leaving. God, I thank you for uncertainty leaving because it is impossible to look into your face and need anything else other than you. We welcome you. And Lord, I ask that you come like a river today. You're so wonderful, Lord. You're so wonderful. wonderful Jesus name can you guys say amen say amen you can be seated are you gonna hang out with me thanks man awesome again I'm I'm honored to be here I've uh, I've heard so much about this church I watch you guys on social media and you are affecting Texas I can tell you that and thanks for sharing Chris with us he's been super vital at Lifestyle Christianity and raising up a generation that is completely on fire with the love of God. It's amazing. <laughs> Josiah, where are you at, man? Dude, you are amazing. You want to preach? He's like, yeah, sure. Oh, he's, he already is. He's, you're a man of God, man. I'm excited to be with the youth this week. 
I'm just praying that God just wreck all of us. Like, I just want to be on the floor, too, crying like a baby. Hey, so I, I grew up in ministry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to stay in my time frame, but I grew up in ministry. I've, I've never known anything else. I've, um, God has used my family around the world. My, my uncle, my dad, I have eight uh, uncles and aunts just on my dad's side. And six of them are boy, boys, four of them are pastors or some sort of evangelists. And so I grew up in crusades. I, I grew up, you know, watching, you know, Madison Square Garden, 30,000 people inside and 5,000 still outside that couldn't get in. And, and I've seen tumors fall off people's necks, people get out of wheelchairs, all of it. And it's all amazing. And as amazing as my parents were, my dad as a pastor, none of it saved my life. Man, I saw every kind of miracle you could ever imagine scales falling off people's eye, all of it, and none of it saved me. And I love what Josiah was saying. It's, it's not till you go into your room when no one's around and you meet a man. And it says in John, it says in the, in the very first chapter of John, it says, to him who receives him, he gives the right to become children of God. It doesn't say to him who receives a message. It doesn't say to him who receives a doctrine or, or a theology or, or a theory. Like God, you know, if, if I was to invite you to my wedding, right, I, I wouldn't ask for the thought of you coming. If I invited you, I'm expecting you're going to be there, that I'm going to have the presence of you in my wedding, right? And so Jesus is a real person. I mean, so much so that he really died, and death didn't know what to do with him, and he really raised, which, and he never died again, so he's, he's still here. He never left. Like, if you go to Israel and you go to the tomb, it literally says, he's not here. You know, and, and I love it because our king, so powerful, this, this real man lived a sinless life. It says that the sting of death is sin. So what does death do when a sinless man goes into the grave? He went into the pit, and there was, no, there was nothing for death to attach to. Nothing. There was no sin on him. And he came plundering out of the grave, conquering death, hell, and the grave, as heaven sung, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? And it couldn't hold him. It says in Acts 2 that it couldn't comprehend him. And he's still here, right? He's still living. He's still active. It says that he's the volume of this whole book. He's the beginning, he's the end, which makes him everything in between. Like, he is the message. He is salvation. He is healing. It's a theme, we heard it. He is healing. Like, it's, he doesn't just come and heal. He walks into the room, and his very presence is healing. Right? It's like we, we go through life, and, and, and we can see all kinds of stuff. We can have God's provision. We can work for God, and we can come employees and forget about just being kids. Because he's not looking for employees, he's looking for children, right? So in my life, I, I heard the gospel, and I saw the miracles, and I saw everything, and I saw the stadiums, and I saw people shake and cry, all of it, and it's all amazing, and it's all needed, but you can become numb to the gospel without having an actual encounter with a man. And so I became, I became numb to it, and, and, I, and I would go to church on Sunday, and I'd lift my hands, and I'd do all the stuff that I was supposed to do. Man, I was Revelation 2 that talks about, you know, you, you're patient, you're kind, you're, you know, I, it's not like I lived a lot in sin and did all these things. I was a, I was a pretty good kid, you know, and I, and I remember, 
I would go and, and I was all of those things. You know, you hate evil, it says in Revelation 2. You call out the ones who aren't apostles that say that they are. But there's one thing I have against you. You have left your first love. And that was me at 10 years old. I remember encountering God in a tangible way and giving my life to the Lord that night. Like I believe many of our youth are going to encounter God in a tangible way this week. It's what my prayer is. Because listen, it says him who we've seen, heard, and handled with our hands. It's him we witness of. Love is an experience. Love is not something, you know, I've got a little two-year-old boy, a little eight-month-old girl. She's just a chunk and, and uh, an amazing wife. And, you know, no one taught me how to love my kid. I actually, when he was born, I didn't even realize that my heart could do that. Like how many parents are in the room? You have children and you're like, as a Christian, you have to overcome worry because all of a sudden you're like, my heart is walking around. It doesn't even make sense, and, and it wasn't something that anyone could teach you prior to having a kid. My dad would always just say, just wait till you have one. He'd always tell me that when I was younger, and I would go out and do things, and I'd say, well, you just relax. I'd tell my dad, just relax. It's going to be okay. And he'd say, just wait till you have one, and I get it now. It's like when they're a newborn, you go, and you, I would put my finger right here just to feel his breath. I don't know how many of you have ever done that. I mean, my, with my first on our way home from the hospital, I'm, I'm getting so angry with people. I'm going 30 on the freeway. And I'm getting angry with people that are going the speed limit. Like, I didn't even realize that that was possible in my heart. You know, but it wasn't something that I learned. It was something that I experienced. And there had to be a manifestation. Like, I had to see him, and all of a sudden that experience became my life, and it just grows every single day. Because if I was to ask you what is love, it's impossible to describe. If I was to ask you, well, okay, it's, you know, I put my family before me, or I, or I do this and I do that, I provide for my kids. No, 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 all those are just an expression of love that isn't really the essence of love. Because the essence of love is 1 John 4, 8, that says God is love. So when we love our kids, we're literally expressing the manifestation of God. When we love our wife, we are the, actually expressing his person, because love is a person. And so my, my, my heart is, is that God bring a generation into this place of we're not just going to church and we're not just doing the works. And man, we can walk in power, but you can, you can cast out devils, you can walk in healing, you can do all these things and you can still stand before him and you could say, Lord, Lord, look at all these things that I've done for you. And he could still say, I never knew you, get away from me. Because God is not interested in what we do for him, God is interested in us. Like, you know what it says? They came to Jesus and they asked him, listen, out of all the laws, you're talking about, you know, 10 commandments and 613 laws. Out of all of it, what do you consider the highest priority? What do you consider the highest? And his response is love God. Like, that's pretty easy. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. For all of them, hang on these two. 613 laws and 10 commandments, all of it hangs on these two. The requirement of our life, the law of our life, is to love him. Like it's, people are, is it that easy? Yeah, he's that good. That's the only requirement. Like the whole book is, I don't, I don't have a requirement of you to, to start a 501c3, as amazing as that is. He's not going to punish you if you don't see the person healed. He's not going to, and, and, and you praying for someone and them getting healed is not a tally in his book. All God requires is you. 
It says, the psalmist said, what is man that you are so mindful of him? Like, the son of man that you would visit him. Like, think about it. Like, God has this whole universe in the palm of his hand. It says that the universe is growing constantly at the speed of light. That's beyond understanding, right? And, and I love it. My dad, would, when I grew up, he would always say, you look at the cosmos, you look at all of it, and it's beyond understanding, it's beyond reason, it's beyond what we can even fathom, and all of it is a speck in comparison to what lives inside of you. That's because literally the very creator himself said, I want you to be my everlasting habitation. Like how close does he want to come? He said the words, it's going to be literally so close, it'll, I'm going to put it in your mouth. I'm going to put my very breath in your lungs. That wasn't your idea, that was God's idea. So no matter what you think about yourself, he thinks he's, that you're amazing. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what the world said about you. It doesn't matter what your mom and your dad and your uncle and your aunt. It doesn't matter if someone said you're never going to amount to nothing because God said, I'm going to give everything for you. That was his idea. Like, it, and, and when we take on the identity of God, we realize that, Lord, there's nothing that you require of me. There's nothing that, listen, I get to do miracles. I, I, it's a byproduct of me being a son of God. But what God is after is God is after me walking into my room and looking him face to face. And here's the problem with our generation is, is everyone wants vision. Everyone wants to go to nations. Everyone wants to be used of God. And it's all amazing. But I heard a pastor once say, if you can sit in your closet, look at him face to face, look around his face and desire something more, you've missed it. Romans 8.29 says that those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to him. That verse changed my life forever. And when I was living in this place of being completely numb to the gospel, man, I could watch the movie, I could do all this stuff, I could go to church, I was a good Christian boy, but you know, the thought of him hanging on a tree did nothing in my heart. Numb to his presence, yet experiencing it every, every week, yet being in an encounter in a room like this. Like you come to a room like this and, you know, my son, he's two and he's praying for people in public. Yeah. Everywhere we go. He's, he knows and he knows when I say in Jesus' name, he yells amen. Sometimes he just jumps the gun. But, you know, we see God heal people and it's amazing. But it's imperative for me as a father that he doesn't just come in and, and that become familiar. Because becoming familiar with something is just repetitive. Becoming familiar with something is like, you know, couples go on dates today and they look at their phones the whole time. You know, especially the millennials. God bless us. You're going on a first date. You're both on your phone. Look at the person. You know, but that's, so you can become comfortable with someone and you sit there in silence and they might be in the room, but you're not looking at them. And what you look at, see, when it says heed the voice of God, it doesn't just mean hear him. It means look at me when I'm talking to you. My dad, when I was younger, and you know, you're not listening as a kid. By the way, I, ha I have no idea what I'm really preaching or a plan. So just stay with me. I have Holy Spirit ADD. Can you guys just... So, you know, when I was younger and, and my dad would be saying something to me and I was looking at something else, you're not listening, he would throw something at me and he'd say, look at me when I'm talking to you. Because what, what we're looking at has all of our attention. If you're looking at your bank account and the lack thereof, and it has your attention, your life will reflect what's in your account. But when you look at him, no matter what's happening in your life, all of a sudden your life will reflect him, and you're not going to have to try. The requirements just look at me. 
and he whispers. You know, like in Elijah, Elijah how many of you remember when he ran back to Mount Horeb and he goes into the, he goes into the cave and, and, he's, and he's looking for a sign from God. And it says that the earthquake came and the thunder came and all these things came and it says God wasn't in any of it, but then a still small voice. And he wrapped his face in a mantle saying like, Lord, it's always just been about your voice. But he whispers because he wants us to be close enough to hear him. He's always talking. We're just busy. We're busy going through life. We're giving him our 10 minutes on our way to work. He's a checklist. He's a check on the checklist of our day, but he's not the point of our day. So I went through life doing all the things right, and I remember seeing all the amazing stuff and went to nations and all of these things. But there came a point in my life when I was like, Lord, I, I just don't know you. And God came to me and he said, you've never built a home with me. And I remember reading, I, I flipped over my Bible. I was... I. I don't have time to share my whole testimony, but I was working at a warehouse on an assembly line. And, you know, when I'm younger, you know, you have all these prophecies and all these things. And, you know, you're going to go and you're going to touch nations and all this stuff. And I believe it. And the Lord is doing it. And, you know, I have people come up to me all the time just as a little side note. And they're like, man, God's calling me to nations. And I believe it. God bless you. But here's the, the reality is, is that when you woke up this morning, God called you. He actually called you, in Ephesians 1, 4, it says that you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Like, before you ever came out of your mother's womb, he had a plan and a destiny. And like Romans 8, 29 says, that destiny and that purpose is simply to conform yourself to him. Right? So you've got a lot of people that are like, man, I'm going to go to the nations, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. But God called you when you woke up, and you went to work, and you sat in your cubicle, and you're called to nations. But the person in the cubicle next to you has no idea what to do with their, with their dying relative. And they don't know, and maybe they've been going to church, and maybe they've been hurt by the church, but you're in your cubicle, but you're called to nations. Right? You see, if God can't trust you with the borders of the cubicle next to you, why would he ever trust you with the borders of a nation? You see, God is, God's looking for people that are enamored by him. So much so that me loving people is not outreach. Because God's not interested in outreach. I hate doing outreach. I'm going to be honest. I do not like getting a group and planning, let's go and rock Walmart. I, I get it. We have to do it. But you know what I like is I like walking into Starbucks so enamored by God that his presence drips off of me. You see, can we, can, can we get to a place where we're so in love, where we're so looking into the eyes of God that when we walk in somewhere, the room feels it? Here's the key. You have to die. He's not going to share his glory with another. That's what the Bible says, which means that you can't be involved. Without him, we can do nothing. I turned to, I turned to, this is Gabriel, by the way. He comes with me, and he's really prophetic. If you need a word, come see Gabriel. <laughs> he really is. But, you know, it's, I was just telling him, I, I turned over to him. I said, I was reading this morning, John 15. Without him, we can do nothing. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm sitting there. I have no idea what I'm going to say. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, Jesus, if you said that, like how much more could I really do nothing without you? Without him, we are literally nothing. And so I am, I'm, I, I've signed up to die. And you know what? Most of my life I hadn't. I signed up to be a Christian and make a confession to go to heaven. But you see, can I throw something at you that maybe you're, if you guys have questions, you can go to your pastors. But you know, you know that nowhere in this Bible does it say that you have to die to go to, to have eternal life. <laughs> nowhere in scripture 
does it say that you have to die to experience eternal life? What it does say, now I'm talking physically die. What it does say in John 17, 3, that this is eternal life, that they may know you. What it does say is the kingdom of God doesn't come by observation, but the kingdom of God is within you. Eternal life is not locational. Eternal life is a person. Right? I'm not saying you're not going to, you will put off this tent and you will step into glory. Everyone will go into a greater realm of glory. But what if Jesus said, Father, the glory you've given me, I've given them. What if we don't have to wait to walk in power and glory? What if he said, as he is, which is now, so are we in this world. It doesn't say that as he is, so are we one day when we die. It says that as he is, so are we in this world, which is, which is right now. It says in Colossians, it says that when he died, all died, and now my life is hidden in Christ. Right? If you just read it, Romans 6, Ephesians 2, Colossians 1 and 3, just, just read it. It says that when he was crucified, we were crucified. It says that when he died, we died. When he was buried, we were buried. When he was quickened, we were quickened. This is not a six-point sermon. This is in Scripture. You guys should read. It's, this book is the most amazing. It actually has a heartbeat. It's so good. People are like, Lord, speak to me. Just look at his voice. Like, he's the volume of the book. Man, we go, to, we go to counseling session. Can I just, like, let go a little bit? We go to counseling session after counseling session, and we want help, but you've never spent time with the counselor. Just look at the book. You know, we, we, we try everything in the world, and, you know, Jesus plus something is idolatry. Jesus plus nothing equals everything every time. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor people come to me and with, with their problems, and I'm like, did you go to God with this first? Like Job, he went to all of his friends, and then God comes and tells him, stand up like a man. Have you forgotten who you are? <laughs> we need to go to him. Amen? So listen, the cross, he didn't just die for us. He literally died as us. It's what it says. So when he was quickened, we were quickened. When he was raised, we were raised with him. And when he was seated in heavenly places, we were seated with him. When was Jesus seated? 2,000 years ago, this man hung on a tree and was seated in heavenly places. And he says, when he was seated, we were seated with him. You're sitting in chairs, but you're in heavenly places. And it's not, it, like, you didn't have anything to do with the decision. This is what makes it amazing. Because you don't have a choice here. Like, you don't have a choice. See, you can make a confession without ever saying yes to God. And a confession, yes, you're going to die, and yes, you're going to go to heaven. But maybe you're never going to take your rightful place, what God has for you right now. Because, listen, the world is waiting for a real encounter with a real God. So we need to have a real encounter with a real God so that when we leave, we are a walking encounter. It's what he paid for. And I'm not, and I'm not willing to go through this Christian life and just in the name of humility, which might be false humility, say, oh, I'm nothing but a wretched sinner. Oh, I'm just going to go to this place and Lord, keep me, Lord, keep me humble. No, no, no. You need to die to yourself, come alive to God. And when you go to the store, what's going to happen is people are going to go, what is that? 
It's my heart. Like, I don't know how many of you have ever looked into, I work for Todd, and he's just got something in his eyes. Like, it's, you look at him, and you're like, what's happening in there? God wants to actually change your countenance. God wants to actually change the way that you talk and the way that you think. You know, when someone's from a different country, you can usually tell by the way that they talk and maybe the way that they look and all that stuff. You know, my dad was born in Israel, and you can tell he's from Israel. But you know, why is it that the world can't tell when Christians are kingdom citizens? Come on, the world should know that there's something different about your life. When I look at this person, man, I feel something. There's just something on them. And so I'm, I, I was so numb that I had forgot, like I, I, would, I would go and, and, and get my 10 minutes and I thought that God was pleased, but you see, I never had built a home with God. And it wasn't that long ago, I remember I had been preaching, man, I could, I could get up and preach and I could make a service anointed and I could make it, I could go, we, listen, we could go into the right song at the right time, the one that everyone likes that everyone's gonna lift their hands to, you know what I'm saying? The one that we know the words to so we can get involved. And I knew what to do, and, there was the, and I knew how to create the formula to it so everyone could, could feel his presence, but really there was no encounter taking place. And I remember in the midst of it, God spoke to me, and he said, you've never built a home with me. And I opened up my, my Bible to Psalms 91, and I saw the, the words that say, those that dwell in the secret place of the Most High abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I thought, Lord, I've, I've never gone in. And, and I went in and I started actually talking to him and not about me. And the Lord started showing me what it means to minister to God. Just read it. Just write it down. We don't have time to go into it. But write down Ezekiel 44 and read it on your own time. I'm telling you, it'll change your life. But there is a place where we can actually minister to him. And really quick, it just, it basically talks about there's two types of priests, which means, listen, how many of you are kings and priests unto God? There's two types of priesthoods. You have the ones that are for the people, which is great. And God said, listen, because you went with them and their abominations and you always were trying to take care of them and keep them happy, your inheritance will be people. And you'll stand on the outer court. You'll still be a preacher. You might still be a pastor, but your inheritance is for them. But then there's another type of priesthood. And he's saying this in Ezekiel 44, and he says, Because when the children of Israel went astray, and, but you tended to my sanctuary, because you tended, you kept tending to my heart, I'm going to make you a minister to me, and you're going to come into my chamber, and you're going to minister to my heart. And I said, Lord, I, I, if I never preach again, if I never stand behind a pulpit again, but Lord, I can be a minister to your heart. I need you to show me how to do that. And the Lord showed me, go into the secret place and stop talking about yourself and minister to me. Just worship me with your heart. Actually give me everything that you are. And I went in and God said, I never want you to preach the gospel again. And I never want you to lay hands on the sick again and leave the house. Just open the window. And what's happening on the inside will get on those on the outside. John G. Lake would say, I have one hand on the sick and one hand on the throne. Never, never leave. Like, why would we, well, how do you, you know, we have a saying in church, like, you know, brother, um, you know, we got to come into the temple, we got to pray, but then we got to go out. What does that mean? How do you leave a temple that you've become? God wants you to literally be a house, a dwelling place for him. Not just a visitor, but make residence. Like God, God said, I want my address to be upon their heart. The God of the universe, the one who could have put a, a castle in the sky and a little boy walking with his mom could have said, Mommy, what's that? She could have been like, well, that's where God lives. And that would have been amazing and wow. But God said, no, 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 I want to be revealed in them. 
I want them to be my everlasting habitation. Like, it's amazing to me that God didn't come storming out of the grave. Jesus didn't come storming out and have a press conference. Like, he could have come out and he could have gone and stand in front of the, he could have stood in front of the Sedron board and said, look, you couldn't kill me. And he could have made national news. But he came out and they still didn't recognize him. The humility of God. He came out and he revealed himself to his own and his own still didn't recognize him. They still didn't believe him. He had to show them the scars in his hands and in his feet and in his side. And then he ascends and he says, it's good for you that I go. Like God, literally the, the heart of the Father, the whole plan of the ages, all of it, was that Christ in you become the hope of glory. That's the plan. Like, God, if, if you were to say, God, what was your plan? It was Jesus being multiplied in a generation. And not, I'm not just talking about a next youth generation. I'm talking about a faceless, ageless generation that never dies. Like, it's amazing when God heals, and it's amazing when people are sick and they get healed. But what would it look like if people believed it enough if we believed what he says about us enough that Jesus died, it says unless a grain of, of, unless a seed dies, it can't be multiplied. He died because it's like Jesus came to the, the conclusion that if I stay alive, like I am the fullness, if I don't dismember myself so that they, as the members of the body, can remember me together again, I will just remain as one person. But there could be millions of me. That's crazy. So Jesus, it's like he sees, he sees the, you know, Lord, it's not my will, but your will. Like Jesus himself, because the love that God had for his sons and for his daughters. And I'm telling you, if we could believe it enough, what if there could be a generation that doesn't need healing but just can't get sick? What if there was a generation that when we walked into the room, death went, we want nothing to do with them? Come on, but like... We, you know, there's two types of hunger. There's a needy hunger and there's a dependent hunger. Hear me. Listen, the, the ones that are needy, you know, Lord, help me, help me, bless me, bless me. And you're hungry because you need help. But then there's a dependent kind of hungry. That, you know, my son is my dependent. He can't live without me. There's a dependent kind of hungry where you're not needy, you're expectant. Where you live in his house. You know, if I, if I went into my dad's house today, till this day, I don't live there anymore, praise God. But if I went to his house today and I got on the fridge and got on my knees and I begged him for something, can I, and I, and I listen, I'll give you $10. Will you give me some milk? My dad would hit me and say, son, have you forgotten who you are? Don't you know that my house is your house and my fridge is your fridge? Why would you ever come into my, you are dishonoring me by coming into my house asking me for what belongs to you. Because my identity is locked up in your identity. My provision is locked up in your provision. Like God doesn't want poor, depressed people in the earth representing him. Like God is rich. Why are we broke? And we call it this prosperity gospel. No, no, no. Sons and daughters of God, like this is our inheritance. He's a king. And he didn't pay a price for weak, needy Christians. He didn't pay a price for me to, to go into my closet and say, Lord, help me. Like, he paid a price for me to walk into my secret place and be his delight. 
David prayed, God, keep me as the apple of your eye. There is glory locked up in your heart. And it wasn't anything that you earned. Actually, what you earned was death. The wages of sin is death, but there's a gift of God. That's eternal life. There is nothing you could deserve. I love it. Todd goes into churches, and he's like, listen, if you want what you deserve, you should just go to hell. I'm, that's literally, I'm not cussing. That's what the Bible says. That's actually what, you, like you went to work for hell. But then Jesus came, and his grace upon grace that's beyond comprehension say, said, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to give you myself. And you can't earn it. You have to receive it. And when you receive me, him, the person, Jesus, he gives you the right to become a child of God. This is not a religion called Christianity. And you know what? I'm tired of just being another religion on the map. I'm tired of turning on the news and watching, hey, we're going we're gonna to do this. No, no, no. There, this is not like one God. He's, Jesus is the only way. But how is the world going to know that? Because the world is looking for love, and young people are looking for people to follow. But is your life worth following? Is your life look so much like him, like Jesus didn't go up to, to his disciples and give them the plan and the vision of his ministry and then say, follow me? He didn't say, listen, I'll pay you this. Please come with me. There was so much power on his life that he walked up and he just looked at them and said, follow me, and they left everything. They, forsake, they forsook everything. Like if you're not willing to give up your life, you can't have life. If you're not willing to die, you can never come to life. Like this gospel, you're either dead or alive. There's no in between. And like we, we, we make excuses. You know, brother, I'm just in my process. No, 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 I get it. But the process is increasing into him. There's no like circle anymore. We don't go in a circle. What the Israelites tried to do in 40 years, Jesus accomplished in 40 days. Well, brother, I'm just in a wilderness. Which one are you in? The one the Israelites were in or the one Jesus was in? Jesus was not shaken. Jesus wasn't, he, you know, the, the enemy came against his identity, if you be the son of God, and that's what the world is coming against the church with. It's always against your identity. Look, let's, let's create a fake identity of ourselves on social media. And the whole world's gonna think we're like this, but really I'm depressed. Really I have anxiety. But I'm gonna smile in my social media posts. I'm, listen, I'm gonna take pictures of my secret place so everyone knows that I'm spending time there. Come on, if I took pictures in my secret place with my wife, that would be really weird. Why do we do it? Like, did you read it? Or did you take a picture of it and make sure the highlight was nice? Come on, we got to get back to the gospel, back to him walking into our room and shaking all the religion out of our life. We need him to walk into our room and make us completely undone until we say, God, I'm nothing and you are everything. And I need you to become all in all until you're shining out of my eyes, until you're coming out of my mouth, until you're the only thing that I hear. Until literally, God, fence can't ever enter my heart again. Until my sickness and my disease and my anxiety and my fear that the answer is just looking at you. Lord, I need you. There is no counselor that can help you in this. There is only one counselor. His presence is enough. His presence is enough. I promise that his presence is enough. Listen, I've been in ministry and it's not enough. I've seen every miracle and it's not enough. 
We need to know what he, who he is, not just what he does. Man, I answered an altar call because that was the thing to do. But did I build him an altar when no one was looking? And the answer was no. I hadn't built him an altar. I haven't made my life a living sacrifice. I haven't said, listen, because you can make a confession. I'm finishing here. You can stand up. I, I, you can make a confession at the cross all day. You can make a confession. And you can say, Lord, I'm, I'm just this, help me. And you can see your need for a Savior because it says all have sinned and all have fallen short. If you think that there's no need for a Savior, you're deceived. Right? So we all had to come to the place where it's only by his blood. So you can come to this place and you can say, Lord, I... I, I need your help. I need you to come in. And you can make a confession because, sure, you want to go to heaven. You know, I, I, had, I had people come to my high school, and I went to a Christian school, and preachers would come and say, listen, if you die today, where are you going to go? And it was always like this horrific death of if you leave the building and you get by a bus. It was never like a small car. It was never like you fall asleep and die. It was always some horrible, horrific death so we can instill fear into people. Yeah, sure, I'd love to go to heaven. You know, it just makes sense. But Jesus is not a fire escape. And we aren't saved by fear. We're saved by grace. Like, I didn't marry my wife because she had a beautiful house. My wife was broke. Bless her. I love her, you know. But I married her because I fell in love with her. I married her because I'm, I decided for the rest of my life, I'm going to wake up every day, and I'm going to fall more in love with her today than I was yesterday. I made the decision, but I, I didn't make a decision to have an encounter with my wife because of what she could offer me. All right, but this is what we do with God, and we've left first love as a church, and we have mass altar calls and mass people coming to God because we feel good about ourselves, and we tallied everyone for the day, and everyone's going to heaven, but did you provide them heaven in their closet when no one's looking? You know, A.W. Tozer would say, any time we preach the gospel without creating a special desire for a person when no one's looking, we've simply used Jesus as a means to get somewhere. Jesus is more than that. Jesus is a real person with a real heart, with real feelings. You can please him and you can displease him. It says that the Holy Spirit can come upon you and remain just like he did to Jesus. He's in me, but he's upon me too. He's all around me. It says don't grieve the Holy Spirit because he'll come and he'll remain on you, but he'll fly away, I promise you. I've seen people that are anointed of God that go home empty. What are you doing when no one's watching? Have you said yes, or have you just made a confession? Have you stayed at the cross going, Lord, I, yeah, I'm going to get into heaven someday, and it's going to be amazing, or did we give our life to him so that we could have heaven now? Did we give our life to him so that in the midst of the storm, you know, in the midst of anything, you can look at him and be at peace? Like, you can't, I cannot explain that to you. That's an experience. Can you guys stand with me? It says in, well, I'll just, let me see if I can read it. This is a, Ephesians 3.17. It says that, so Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and height and depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That word knowledge in the Greek, it literally, if you look it up in the Greek in a strong concordance, it says science. 
if you don't have an encounter, a love encounter and experience with God that surpasses what science can explain, you might just know God in theory. You might just know God as a, as a message you heard on Sunday morning. You might, just, you might just know him as that one time you did the altar call. You know, you, you might just know him as, you know, when God, you first came into my life, I remember the days when the tears would fall on the pages, but Lord, my heart is dry and my heart is empty. You know, how many of you remember when you first gave your life to God and you were so excited you just couldn't help but be a witness and then you got older and you started doing witnessing? Some of you missed that. You see, it's possible to serve God and it's possible to, to you, listen, you could be a pastor serving God, doing everything right and forget about God in the process. You could have a mega church and you could fill arenas and go home and there's no host before you. God wants to crush loneliness. God wants to crush fear. God wants to crush anxiety. God wants to heal bodies. But you have to know that God is. He is the answer. He is the beginning. He is the end, which makes him everything in between. He's the Alpha and Omega. The whole point, the whole purpose is him. Like he doesn't want, he doesn't need anything from you. He doesn't need you to do anything for him. He's saying, come to me. Just come to me. If you're thirsty, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and out of your belly will flow rivers. You see the progression. It's not, you can't have rivers coming out of your life unless you first come to him. And listen, if anyone desires, how many of you want to follow him for the rest of your life? Raise your hand. If anybody desires to follow after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow after me. See, that's saying yes. Saying yes is not just staying at the foot of cross, confessing for doing this and doing that every week. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. But saying yes to God is looking up and seeing a cross with your name on it. And you know, everyone wants the mantle of this guy and that guy. My cousin says, if you don't have a mantle of wood on your back, don't desire anything else. Your mantle is a cross, and things might be hard, and things may not be easy, but what will you do for a drink? What will you do for peace that surpasses understanding? What will you do for joy that doesn't make sense? What will you do that when someone comes against you, the only thing you have in your heart is love? You see, we want to preach this gospel that benefits people, but this gospel crucifies you. And no one ever spent time with their self and came out excited about it. Like, you need to spend time with God. And when you really genuinely spend time with God, it's impossible to come out feeling worse than when you came in. I promise. The only way you're going to leave empty is because you sat there and thought about yourself and spent time with yourself. And he sat in the room because he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. But you were looking at you and not looking at him. You have to look at him. You have to become aware of him. Listen, recognition, listen to this. Recognition is presence. Recognition, when you recognize him, you can be in the same place every day and he'll be there and he'll wait for you. And he's patient and he's long-suffering and he longs for you. And you'll do miracles and you'll be excited and you'll go to God and say, Lord, look what I did. And he says, come to me, please. In Mark 6, the disciples came to him and they started sharing testimonies with Jesus. Look at all these things we've done in your name. And Jesus does not even respond to the testimony. He doesn't say, good job, brother. He doesn't even say it. He says, why don't you get alone for a while? 
When the crowds came, Jesus ran to the mountain. Today, when the crowds come, we get out our Insta stories. Look at what he's doing. No, look at what you're doing. God's after a pure generation that says, Lord, if I sit in a janitor's closet for the rest of my life, but I have you, it's enough. If I'm in this cubicle, but your presence is there, that's enough. How many of you ever heard of Brother Lawrence? There's a guy named Brother Lawrence. People would come and watch this man wash dishes because of the presence on his life. There is a place in God that surpasses anything I could ever teach. Words are not valuable enough to express this encounter with him. Where it's not just a one-time encounter where we got slain in the spirit as much as we need God to take away our dignity. But an unending love encounter that when you're when your family member comes against you that again and that one person that you just they just irk you and everything they say offends you the next time they come to you the only thing in your heart will be love you can't teach that that only comes with his presence and my prayer is that god i'm going to be so dead to myself so lost in you like colossians 3 says that when he died all died and now my life is hidden in christ so if i tried to find my life i really shouldn't be able to if i'm looking in the mirror and not seeing glory looking back at me it's because i'm looking at him it's because i'm looking at me and not at him you see we can come to a place where we can we can look in the mirror and we can want to see the new creation but we're so stuck on what we've done we've never seen what he's done and we call it humility oh i'm just a wretched sinner no you're you're obsessed with yourself When you become enamored by God, the only thing you see is what God sees. And the more you believe you're a son, the more you're going to be a son. But the more you believe you're a sinner, the more you're going to sin. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You have to believe what God says. So that when you can walk in somewhere, God will literally clothe you with his presence. The word of God says, clothe yourselves with the presence of God. Like he thinks you're holy enough for that. He thinks you're righteousness enough for that. Not because of anything you've done to obtain it, but because of what he did. He is enough. He's enough, and he's greater than anything you got going on. And we have a high priest. It says in Hebrews 4 that we have a high priest that, that understands what we're going through. He was touched with everything. He was tempted at every point, yet without sin. Everything you are going through, he overcame it. The answer is not to get better. The answer is not to get over your sin. The answer is to die to sin by looking at him. Because where Jesus is, there is no sickness. Where Jesus is, there is no bondage. Where Jesus is, there is no... You can't, you can't sin when Jesus is in the room. The issue is, is we're not looking at him. So I would ask, if you're in this room and you're believing for healing in your body, can you just raise your hand? Really quick. We're just let Jesus do what he does for one minute. Can you put your hand, if you're next to him, put your hand on the person that's raised your hand. Raise your hands high so you can see them. Father, I pray that you seal this word by healing bodies. So come on, you begin to command it to leave. Ask him within two minutes what's going on. Command it to leave. Come on, open your mouth. You can use your words. It's okay. Thank you, Lord. Okay, now ask them to check their body. If it was something physical, ask them to check it. I hear shoulders. Is there someone with a shoulder issue in here? Wave at me if you have a shoulder issue. 
How's your shoulder feel? Raise it up. Okay, pray again. Father, I thank you for that shoulder being completely healed in Jesus' name. God, I thank you for fear and anxiety and sleepless nights leaving with it. In Jesus' name, for everyone in this room, thank you, Lord. Hey, what's your, uh, what's her name? What's her name? Can you come here really quick? Sorry, man. Almost done. Brianna? Brioni. I feel like God's saying that he's doing a new work in your life and it's going to hit your kids. Can you guys stretch your hands? Father, I thank you in Jesus' name. God, for this praying mama. Lord, I thank you that even now they'll hear your voice. That even now they'll hear your voice. Lord, I thank you for changing her countenance. I thank you for changing what's on her life. Lord, I thank you for the response being different. For the response being different. I don't know what that means. I just keep hearing God say, the response will be different. Jesus' name. Thanks for your presence, Lord. Really quick, if there's anyone else dealing with anxiety, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Just put your hand on them really quick. Come on. Father, I thank you for anxiety leaving this room and fear leaving this room and bodies being healed right now in Jesus' name. Jesus, I thank you that it is your presence. Your presence is the answer. Your presence is the answer. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Never again. Sleepless nights. We command you to leave. We command every terrorizing devil to leave this room. In Jesus' name, right now. In Jesus' name. Okay, as Aaron comes, I want you to just ask them to check their bodies. Ask them how their heart feels. And before we do that, can we just give God praise? Can we give him praise?